You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. I'm your host, David Frizzell, and my guest in this episode is Rowena Millwood. Rowena is the author of a terrific new book, Uncomfortable Growth, Own Your Reinvention. So what is uncomfortable growth? Who should be thinking about it for their own development? And most importantly, how do we go about it? Of course, you're about to hear answers to those questions and much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rowena Millwood. Rowena Millwood, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Rowena, lovely to have you. You've written a terrific book called Uncomfortable Growth, Own Your Reinvention. And I really want to talk about that word. That, I mean, uncomfortable growth is the core of your topic, but that reinvention word is really interesting. And I'll ask you a few questions about that a little bit later. And we're also going to get to a whole bunch of really interesting sort of frameworks that you have in your book. The idea of the four cores to your whole self the four questions that you've got to ask yourself, and of course, the uncomfortable growth formula. We'll hear you talk all about those in this episode. But before we get to that good stuff, I'm intrigued about the story behind the book. How did you get here? What is your mission? What's the elevator pitch that you give to people? What are you trying to achieve? Yeah, so I think um, like a lot of people, you uh, kind of live your 20s trying to figure out what you need to get on with and to get a start in your life and career. You spend your 30s with lots of life changes, often family, often, you know, getting settled in a house, etc. And then you get to your 40s and you suddenly think, hmm, is this where I want to be? Is this what I've actually chosen? I've just kind of gone with all the things that you normally do. And I think for me, that was a really big part of this idea of uncomfortable growth because it's not comfortable. You know, growth gets thrown around as a term, bandied everywhere, and it's always seen as a positive. But actually, growth is an outcome. Before you get to the growth as an outcome, you actually have to go through a whole lot of uncertainty, a whole lot of change, a whole lot of curveballs, challenges, etc. And that's the uncomfortable part. And for me to be able to look at, okay, well, how do you actually own your growth and reinvent yourself time and again? You have to come back to leaning into the fact that growth is uncomfortable. And from a personal perspective, you know, I had a couple of things happen in my late thirties, early forties. I was diagnosed with cancer when my first child was only six weeks old. So that was a massive curveball and, you know, that kind of, oh, like, you know, and I was, I was young and healthy and up to that point hadn't really been in hospital except to have the baby. <laughs> so, you know, that just makes you realize that the things you assume will continue are not a given. I was in a corporate role, loved working, you know, I had great opportunities, went overseas. I was with Johnson and Johnson for 16 years and worked in the U.S., in Singapore, in Australia, and across Asia, Pacific, and I loved it. But my job was suddenly made redundant. That's another curveball. What was the hardest of those two curveballs? I mean, it would seem obvious that being diagnosed with cancer with a six-month-old baby or six-week-old baby, excuse me, that's a curveball. But 
being made redundant can be pretty tough too because we, we, for better or worse, we place a lot of our personal worth in the role that we do, our professional role. So how did you find that? Yeah, it's a great question because, I mean, obviously a life or death situation is more extreme than, say, being made redundant, but having, you know, something like cancer, I suddenly felt all this love and support around me, you know, and everyone wanted to help you and it wasn't your fault. You know, it's something that has happened to you. But redundancy still has, even though it's not your fault, it still has that element of, but, you know, they've got rid of me and my job, you know, so I'm I'm not as valuable. And I'd been with J&J for 16 years and I still love the company. I'm still in contact with the people, but it was like a divorce. You know, it was, I think, harder to get my head around because it felt much more personal and as if it was a rejection of me rather than something that happened to me and I had all this overwhelming love and support during that time. Hey, you know, talking about the journey from your 20s and 30s and then into your 40s, I'm 47, so I, I relate to that and that all resonates with me. And it just so happens that on Saturday night, just gone, I went to my 30th school reunion so that kind of journey is so on show there because here's a group of people who I used to see every day for a very short period of my life, but for some reason it's meaningful when you're a teenager, mm-hmm. a room full of these familiar yet older faces all telling the story of their journey. You know, that, you know, it was, yeah. I played this little game when I saw people, I'd say, all right, give me your last 30 years and 30 seconds. So, and everyone was really up for that. It was quite in, in, interesting how people were cool with that. And then they would tell me those kind of journeys, you know, the things that you talked about. You just sort of go along with it. You're trying to find yourself in your in your twenties. Your thirties get really busy because your you you know your professional career is taking off, but you're probably having kids at the same time, and you've got all of that yeah. balance. And it's like now in the in our forties, it sort of didn't matter what you did for a job. No one cared less what you did for work or whatever. It was kind of like it had gone full circle back that we were kind of these wise old heads who didn't care rather than clueless teenagers <laughs> who had no idea. It was a really interesting experience. And you made me think of that today when I read your book, that that was on show for me just on Saturday night. All right, now back to this word reinvention, because I'm guessing a lot of people would read your blurb, the blurb of your book, hear you speak mm-hmm. and say, you know what? I'm not looking to reinvent myself. I'm happy with linear growth, just plodding along, learning more, getting the next promotion, becoming a better husband over time or a better wife or mom over time, but I'm not looking to reinvent myself. So do you feel as though your audience for this book is really targeted to those who've had a massive life change and are looking to make big changes in themselves? Or is there something you see in all of us that suggests that whether aware of it or not, there is an element of reinvention as we go along? Yeah, probably more of the latter. So the way, I mean, I think the biggest reinvention comes from your mindset first. So someone may continue to be a wonderful father or husband, or they may continue in the job that they started with. It's not necessarily about external change. It's about looking, you know, stepping back and saying, this is what I choose. This is what I want. And I love the story you're telling about, you know, your school reunion, because, you know, people had got to an age where they were less I guess, less involved with trying to impress others and 
you know, make out how, how successful they'd been in their careers and kind of stepping back and going, you know, here's who I am, here's what I've learned, and here's what's important to me. And I think that's what is at the heart of Own Your Reinvention. It's not to be famous or, I mean, if you want that, that's fine, but it's to actually be really happy with your life choices and always know that whatever curveball comes your way, you can deal with it, but you can move into what is your next chapter, what is your next space. And, you know, COVID was a really interesting time because I think that's when everyone stopped. We were forced to stop. And a lot of people got off the busy wheel of just busy being busy and they stepped back and they said, well, what is it that I actually want? And it may not be that story held up, you know, wherever in, you know, there's always these stories of amazing people and wonderful, famous people. It's more about what I want, what I choose. And do I feel that I'm always growing and learning and actually living the life that unlocks my true potential? Hey, you know what? You're absolutely right. There was a complete and utter absence of anyone trying to impress anyone at the 30th reunion on Saturday night. And I, I really liked that. It was absolutely stark. No, there was not one individual there trying to impress anyone, which I really enjoyed. It was just a whole bunch of people with uh, a tinge of nostalgia wanting to catch up with old, old friends. It was lovely. Mm. Hey, um, you mentioned COVID there, and I was going to bring that up. You've brought this book out at a really good time because our whole experience with COVID over the last year and a half or so, one of the results of that has been a real look in the mirror for people. We've tasted life very different. You know, lockdowns were very different. Being restricted in our movements were very different. Wearing masks were very different. But the biggest difference was this change in work from home arrangements or distributed work or remote work or whatever you might call it. And for some reason that has unlocked, well, actually for a lot of understandable reasons, that has unlocked a real kind of search in many people about what they really want to do. That experience awakened that. Are you seeing the timing of your book as really helped by COVID or was it in part motivated by COVID? Well, I actually wrote it during COVID. So I think <laughs> by nature of that, the it COVID was book. motivated. Yeah, it was motivated COVID by books, COVID. books, babies and puppies. <laughs> In that order. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I do think it made us think differently in lots of different ways. And in that context, it not only made people think about where are they at, what is important to them and what do they want. It also made them realize that different choices are possible. You know, before COVID, like you said, we all went to work and pretty much worked in an office nine to five and had to juggle our personal lives outside because there was this real delineation between professional life and home life. And then suddenly that all collapsed and suddenly it was possible to do a job five days a week, but still be able to have time with your family or not necessarily have to do a commute every day or not necessarily even have to get up to go to the office. You could spend that time doing whatever you loved. And so I think just that whole experience, um, while there was obviously a lot of fears that were activated because of, you know, fear of death, health, job security, social disconnection, there were so many fears that were ramped up simultaneously, but at the same time, it also showed that there were new possibilities and that they were something that could actually become part of your life. So 
it's that duality of an extreme change where there's both the silver linings amongst the really hard things. But I do think that, you know, COVID has helped people rethink what's possible. And that's why reinvention is less about external and more about this is what I love. This is what I choose for now. And if I want to change it, I can. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. Now, listen, you have taken on a big risk. You have laid out your four cores of whole self. And I really like yours and I love to hear you talk them through. But, you know, I've leaned on Stephen Covey's four quadrants of life for a long time just because it's great and people who listen to this podcast will know that I, I think very highly of Stephen Covey's work and the way he speaks and, and all, everything surrounding just, just not his book. But it's often really useful to break our life into different bits and kind of acknowledge that at different times we are leaning into one part of our life more than others, neglecting others, looking for a bit more balance at different points. It's a great way to think about things. And Covey's, of course, are intellectual, physical, social, emotional, and spiritual. And they've always made perfect sense to me. You've gone in a slightly different direction. I'd love to hear you talk about it. Yeah. And I've read um, Stephen Covey, and I think he's amazing. So, you know, I'm with you thinking that he's just one of the great genius contributors to the world. So when I was thinking about this, I mean, a lot of the conversations I've had over the last 10 years, you know, both in corporate and outside of corporate has often been with, you know, people juggling families in particular. And when do you put your foot on the accelerator career? Do you have to really give that up if you want to have a family? You know, even being able to to find that five minutes for yourself. And I think it's really important when an environment where you can almost have it all, but there's a great saying from Oprah Winfrey, you can have it all, but not all at once. (laughs) And I think that's true that you have to make choices because when you try and do everything, that's when people burn out or it just becomes too much. And I think that is one of the reasons why women actually fall out of the career path workforce, often due to children, not always, but often, because you try and have it all and then you go, I can't do any of it and you can never give up being a mother first, right? Because it's your child. You can leave a job, you can't leave your child. No, you can't. Well, you can, but there's not a great <laughs> Hey, so tell us what your four cores of whole self are and how they work into what you were just talking about. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I separated it into self. And self is really important because that's the fuel to be able to give to everyone else. But that's often the part that people neglect on the busy, busy, busy journey of life. And I think it doesn't have to be a huge amount of time, but there needs to be a focus on an element of joy every day. Even if it's just half an hour or an hour, what is an element of joy or something just for you every day? The second part is family and whether that is actual relatives or whether it's people you consider family, that's obviously a big part of most people's life. And it's not just children. It could be elderly parents. It could be your, you know, close friends. I remember when I was living in the States, I didn't have a lot of family over there, but I had friends who became family. 
And it's really important to keep that connection. And I think we saw the importance of that connection through COVID when we weren't able to sustain it directly. But it's so important just to know that you've got that foundation and bond. The third part is around career and work. And again, that it plays different roles in people's lives, but it's usually a component or even a practical reality of most people's life. And I find people who are career oriented, it is a part of their identity, as you were saying. You know, a lot of the time you spend the most time at work outside of sleeping. So it becomes a really important part of who you are as a person. And then the final part is contribution. And that could be as something as simple as helping out at the local soccer club, being involved in the community, being involved in your church, or doing some things specifically to be able to give back to society. But it's doing things for others outside of yourself. And those four parts, I think, do change in priority, depending on where you're at at a certain point. And that's okay. But you need to think about, okay, how are they working all together? Because the one thing you can't change is time. Time is finite. We all have the same 24 hours. And so are you happy with the choices you're making in terms of where you're spending your time or the quality that you feel that you're getting back from those areas of your life? And is that is that the usefulness of this as a, as a mind tool, to look across those four segments of our whole self and just think, um, is there anything in there that I'm neglecting? Am I placing too much emphasis on career right now and, and not enough on family? Am I doing enough for myself or am I giving it all to my family and career? We all know that story, especially for women in the workforce and, and the thing that we hear so often, and it, it must be cruel, a, a cruel feeling to have that I'm, I'm not being the parent that I want to be, but nor am I being the employee that I want to be. No one's winning. And, and what a terrible burden to carry around that is. So in that case, you could talk about, well, are you, are you doing enough on yourself as well? So is that the usefulness of this as a mind tool, just to observe, to take health checks of our life and just have a think about them each and, and how much of a role they're playing in our life right now? Yes, it's definitely looking at the four different elements and the role and is it intentional and is it serving us? The other part which I talk about is what is your level of desired growth in each of those areas? So I talk about the growth zones and you go from, you know, feeling stuck to a comfort zone, to a learning zone, to an uncomfortable growth zone. And my point in that is that you can't always be at an uncomfortable growth zone in every aspect of your life. Yeah, so <laughs> that's when we <laughs> we really do break down and go, it's just too much. Mm, too much. So, yeah, so not only think about how is it serving you, but be kind to yourself and recognize, you know, is this the right time for me to focus on family? Is this the right time to focus on me? Is this the right time to go harder in my career because I've got things figured out at home? So, you know, think about growth as something that ebbs and flows but you can intentionally influence and choose the level of growth that you want to have across those four domains of your life. And I think that's the concept that is quite new. At least that's the feedback I've had. The fact that you can own your own growth and that you can actually press the accelerator or press the, you know, the brake and hopefully not have to slam on the brakes or crash. And I'm really keen to hear about the four questions that you talk about and the uncomfortable growth formula. 
and I'll, I'll get you to talk about those in a moment, but I really like the definition that you gave of uncomfortable growth at some point in your book, that uncomfortable growth is about acting despite fear. Yeah, and it's it's that part where to be able to act through fear, you really have to have conviction or a reason. So a big chunk of the first half of the book I talk about what's your why or what's the thing that gives you conviction and how do you actually start to step back and go, what is important? Because if you've identified why it's important to you, then you're much more likely to act through fear and put yourself into the face of uncertainty so that you can actually realize possibilities that become opportunities. So it's not that growth is just a given. I mean, I think with age, people all recognize that growth is hard. It's not something that's easy, but you can actually put yourself and beat your own wiring consciously by identifying why you really want this and then being able to act through fear. And you paint the uncomfortable growth as a journey and you talk about the four questions to get there. Can you tell us what those four questions are, where they come, how we can use them? Yeah. So the first question is what I do. And I start with that because that really identifies what we're doing now, where we're at. And like I said, sometimes we end up in a place and we're not sure how we got here, but we're here. And it's also a question that's very easy to answer for most most people. So, you know, what do I do? This is what I do in my job. This is what I do in my family. This is what I do for time out for me, et cetera. Myself. And is that where you map that back to the four cores of whole self? So when you say, what do I do? Well, I think about what I do in self, what do I do in family, career, contribution. Good. Got it. Correct. Correct. And then the second question is what I know. Now, that sounds similar, but is actually significantly different because we often don't step back and reflect on what do we actually know. And the what I know piece is very important because it's it's that place where you're actually able to identify what have I already learned from my life? from both the positives and the negatives or the highs and the lows? And what does it mean to me? It's where we're able to identify a lot of our triggers and how we see those triggers then holding us back. We can identify why we behave as we do. So what I know is a very important step because it sets the platform for being able to identify the third question, which is what could be. And uh, one of the realities of, you know, being human and being wired first for fear means that we like to see direct answers. We like the straight line answer, you know. So if I'm there saying I'm not happy in my job, I may not have actually done anything, but if a headhunter calls me up, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that job sounds pretty good. I haven't actually stepped back and gone, well, what's possible? You know, maybe I should reach out to a few headhunters or recruit, you know, recruitment people. Maybe I should talk to some previous managers. Maybe I should let people know that I'm interested in, you know, moving out of my current company. So what could be is the piece that we don't do well. And it's because of that uncertainty. And yet when we actually activate possibilities, we find that a lot of those translate into opportunities and choices that will serve us much better than if we just reacted and went for the straight line, oh, this is a problem, I need the first solution I can find. I like that professional example you gave of what could be. Can you give me an example that relates to self? How would I apply that in self? Yeah, so so you could be thinking about it in terms of what am I looking for that I love that brings me joy? 
Do I want to take up a new hobby? Do I just want to be able to give myself an hour every day of reading time? Could be as simple as that. What could be could, you know, be, you know, do I want to, you know, try and do a a triathlon or run a marathon? Or is it as simple as I just want to go and go on holidays for me on my own without anyone else because I've never done that before? So there's a lot of possibilities that we we have, but we don't necessarily explore and think about, you know, why would this be a good thing? Why would I want to do this? We just kind of keep on doing what we've been doing because, you know, it's easier basically to keep doing what we, what we already know. So we're, we're talking through the four questions that get us to the point of uncomfortable growth. Number one was what I do. Number two was what I know. Number three was what could be. Tell me about number four, Rowena. Yeah, number four is what I choose. So number three leads to number four. And the analogy I like to use, uh, recognizing my background is in marketing. (laughs) It's, It's a lot like the marketing funnel where you have to give your message out to a lot of people. So you get mass awareness that will influence some people to consider your product. And then a smaller number will actually purchase it. It's the same when you think of possibilities to things that you could do yeah exactly Mm. so if you You activate you can't do them all but if you activate a lot of possibilities then you will find that some of them will become opportunities and those opportunities then give you choices to make and being able to make that choice is very important to then being able to realize the value of growth so help me understand then in, in the context of the questions and the, the four cores of self and, and your definition of uncomfortable growth, what then is the uncomfortable growth formula all about? Help me understand how I can use that mentally as a tool. Yeah. So the uncomfortable growth formula basically brings together the reality of those four questions and it can be applied to any of those four domains of a whole self. And that formula is reframing fear times action times randomness. So the reframing fear part, um, like I was saying earlier, is when you know what you want, but you're not sure how to get it, it gives you the ability to look not at the negatives of the fear, but to think about the positives. And that enables you then to take action, which you probably wouldn't have before. And the randomness is how do you take actions in a way that you haven't before so you're going to get more of those possibilities generating and they all together translate into more opportunities and choices. It's a way to be able to take those four questions, to reframe the fears that have been holding you back, to put it into action so you generate lots of possibilities And, you know, the randomness means that you'll have new options and new choices to be able to make at the end, which are much more likely to serve you. So the reframing fear thing is really interesting, powerful concept, easy to write those words, but difficult for a lot of us to do. So going back to the example that you gave earlier, someone happy in their profession, they're quite okay with the company they work in, but they're interested in what else is out there. And and if a headhunter knocked on their door, they would certainly chat to them So why not throw a few lines out? Why not talk to people? Why not go to a recruitment company, et cetera? How do you reframe that fear? You know, what if I'm rejected? What if I'm actually just living the Dunning-Kruger effect and I'm not that good anyway? What if I leave this company and it turns out this company is the best in the world and 
everywhere else sucks. What if I go to a headhunter or a recruitment agency and they say, uh, no, thank you very much. We don't need someone like you. You are as common as goldfish. You know, how do you reframe all of that fear that people have? Yeah. So, I mean, those fears will always be there. It's about having the conviction and belief that you're not going to accept your fear and have that stop you from taking action. So I'd like to give you a good example. It's a little bit aside, but I think it's a good one. So my parents were selling their family home and they're elderly and they're retired and they put it on the market and they looked at agents and they went with the agent they thought was best. And, you know, it was on the market for three or four months. This was only a year ago. So during the boom and they had a lot of people through, but not one person actually asked for a contract. And they were thinking that, you know, despite it being a lovely house, despite them being told by the agent it was priced right, etc., they were really scared and thought, look, we're going to have to drop the price. We're going to have to drop the price because they needed to pay for the new place that already put a down payment on. So they were very fearful. And this is talking about their retirement, you know, and money that they wanted to unlock for retirement. So they were about to put take the price down. And, you know, the agent was like, well, yeah, that could help, even though I said I think it's well priced. And even though it seemed not unreasonable, the price I had, they were looking to take it down. And then I said to my mother, I said, oh, mum, why don't you just explore a few more agents? It can't hurt. There's no downside in that, just to see. And so she ended up going and talking with another two or three agents. She ended up hiring another agent. This agent had a very different approach. She's a much smaller agency. She had a very different type of clientele. Within three weeks, they had three offers and they ended up selling the house for 10% above the original asking price. Nice. Good outcome. So I kind of look at that and that's a real life example. Mm. It's amazing. How, how could the agent be getting it so wrong? I, I, wow. Yeah. yeah. And it was one of the biggest agents. I mean, one of the biggest agents that on, tell us who was very, <laughs> I can't tell you their name. <laughs> I feel too bad. <laughs> so yeah, you know, there was no change except for the agent, but they believed it was price and then they were stressed about not having the money that they needed because they'd done all their sums. And, you know, it's it's at those points where you could go with your fear and just, you know, drop the price and end up selling it. But we need to explore. We need to explore other possibilities. We need to step outside of that straight line and, you know, just a couple of conversations, a chance. And it doesn't always work, but it often does. And, It's our minds where we say, you know, oh, it's not going to work. I'm not good enough. That first response was negative, so I'm going to stop. That actually is what holds us back. You know, you need to keep exploring, keep pushing, because it could be that it was just the wrong time, the wrong agent, the wrong situation. And there's so many opportunities that are out there if we just take action. All right, Rowena, we have very quickly run out of time. And I, as you know, I always ask my guests to finish with three nuggets of gold. People who've bought into what you're talking about in this conversation, they love the idea of uncomfortable growth. They've bought into your four cores of whole self and those four really important questions to ask. What are those three pieces of advice you can leave us with that will keep us motivated over the next few weeks and months? Yeah, so the first one is you own your growth. 
So, you know, if you're feeling stuck, then you can do something about it. And, you know, no one wants to have that stuck feeling. So if that's you, then suddenly, you know, buy the book or talk to someone, but think about how you can own your growth because, you know, it's such an important thing to be able to take control of your your own growth, which leads to a much bigger life. So that's the first thing. The second thing is don't let fear hold you back. We all have fear. Everyone is wired for fear, but don't let it hold you back. And I always say, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? Just like my parents' house example, what's the worst thing that could happen? So just give it a go and you'll be amazed at how often things will turn out in a positive way that you hadn't expected. And last but not least is just always be kind to yourself. Everyone's doing their best. The four domains help us to make sense of, you know, are we doing the things that will serve us? But be kind to yourself because we don't always get it right, but that doesn't mean that we can't get it right again in the future. Wonderful advice. Rowena Millwood, thank you so much for coming on the Team Guru podcast. I have thoroughly enjoyed our chat. So have I, and thanks so much for having me. And that was Rowena Millwood. I love the way she describes her take on the four parts of whole self, self, career, family, and contribution. And those three nuggets of gold. Number one, own your own growth. If you're feeling stuck, you can do something about it. Number two, don't let fear hold you back. And number three, always be kind to yourself. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Rowena on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.